Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are so thankful that you are the God of the impossible. We confess, apart from you, we can do nothing, Lord Jesus, but in Christ, all things are possible. And so, Lord, you help us to endure. You help us to take the next step. You help us to live out the faith once for all delivered to the saints in a way that makes the world a better place. And we confess readily that apart from you, we could do none of that. But in you, in you, with you, through you, all things are possible. And so, Lord, in that encouragement, in that spirit, in that truth, we come now to your word and we ask that you would would stretch us yet again, that you would help us to be more like Jesus, that you would help us to love more like you have loved us, and help the world to see your light shine brightly through your people. And, Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody who's a part of this experience right now, who's wondering, would God accept me? Speak into their spirit, Lord. Let them know that their their maker stands ready with his arms open to receive them through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may you do work of eternal consequence today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open with me to James. We're going to chapter 2. You may say, we've been in James chapter 1 so long, I forgot where James chapter 2 starts. Well, it's right there at the end. It's still page 1011 in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, but if you come back next week, we'll go to 1012. So be encouraged. James is going to step on your toes and my toes yet again today. I'm so glad that we get to grow together. But today we're going to talk about what it means to love. And the world is very confused about what it means to love right now. I mean, people are clamoring to assign definitions to that word. And so what do we do when the world is clamoring to decide what something means? Well, we go to a steadier word from God. How does God describe love? Well, if you've been to a wedding, you've heard it. I officiated a wedding last weekend and recited it. The Apostle Paul, writing as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, tells us that love is patient. And love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the New International Version of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a. That's how God describes love. So what is love according to God? Well, it is patient and kind. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What is love not according to God? Well, it's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not prideful. It's not rude. It's not selfish. It's not short-tempered. It's not vengeful. It does not celebrate evil, no matter who calls evil good. Most of all, it does not fail. So what does love look like when we express it? Well, I think Jesus gives a helpful summary statement that every single one of you know. And we call it the golden rule. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus is speaking and he says, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So how do I express love? Well, I follow the words of Jesus who said, Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for in so doing you are summing up the teaching of the law and the prophets. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you wish others would give you some grace? Do you wish others would cut you some slack? Do you wish others would try to see things from your point of view? Do you wish others would assume the best about you? Do you wish others would give you the benefit of the doubt? Do you wish others would gently tell you the truth and point you in the right direction even when you're not seeing it in the moment? Do you wish that others would be kind to you? Do you wish that others would pray for you help you, even make sacrifices for you. Are you doing those things for them? So that's the idea. We all know what we want from others. And so Jesus, the master teacher, says, whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them, for in so doing you are fulfilling the law and the prophets. That's what it looks like to love according to God. Now, in order to love people, we're going to have to first see them as human beings created in the image of God. We have to see that. We have to see them. Every human being is created in the image of God by the very hands of God and is therefore inherently and intrinsically worthy of honor and respect and dignity. Every human being. One of the techniques they use in war is to make it easier for you to kill another human being is they don't refer to them as another human being. They come up with some epithet, some other name, because I'm not killing a person, I'm killing a fill-in-the-blank. Right? We still do that today. That happens even in society, not just in war. We, we assign epithets, other names, to those we deem to be somehow less than human. And when we do that, we can somehow absolve ourselves. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about a fill-in-the-blank. But you know, from the moment of conception, God is knitting us together, human beings created in His image, sole image bearers of God on this planet. And therefore, every human being is worthy of dignity and honor and respect. So we first must view them as human beings created in the image of God and worthy of those things. But then secondly... We have to humble ourselves. In love, we have to put others before ourselves, and that's, that's not easy. I mean, the next time you're at the grocery store of your choice, and you decide to go through one of those lanes that has what we call an actual person who will slide your items across that thing so that you don't have to do it and try to figure out where the barcode is. And it's really crowded, and they've got two lanes open. And they're trying to funnel you to the self-checkout, but you don't want to go to the self-checkout. And you get in that line that extends back into the rows where the foods are. See how you're feeling about other people in that moment. How easy is it to humble yourself and say, you know what? I've got a full cart. You've got a full cart. You go right ahead. I'm not saying you should do it every time, but as an experiment to check your heart. Mm. Or what about the drop-off or pick-up line at school? I was going to pick up my daughter the other day, and somebody who's a part of our church rolled down her window, and she said, Preacher, I need a sermon on how to navigate this pickup line before I hurt somebody. I mean, you, right? 
We all, how many of you love standing in lines? How many of you love being inconvenienced? And yet, who is inconveniencing us? Well, it's, it's people that God made and that God loves and that God is willing to redeem through Jesus Christ. They're a part of the cosmon, the world that God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we have to see them as humans. We have to value them as humans. We have to humble ourselves before Almighty God to seek to make somebody else's life better. That's, that's how we do this. Let me, let me be very clear about something, though, and our world seems to have forgotten this. Love is not wholesale affirmation of choices, decisions, behaviors, identifications, all those sorts of things. You know, there are people who would tell you that if you love me, you have to affirm every decision I make. Can I say lovingly? That's ludicrous. How many of you have ever had a child or been entrusted with the care of a child? When that child learned to walk, what did you immediately have to start saying? No, don't do that. I mean, you may, how many of you have had a puppy? Have you had a puppy? Do you love the puppy? The puppy wants to do things that the puppy shouldn't do. And love compels you to say, don't do that. Well, he wanted to run out in front of the car. And if I'm going to affirm him and love him, then I have to let him run out in front of the car. No. That's the opposite of love. That is unloving. Some of you are in college right now. And your parents are disagreeing with you. Do you know why they're disagreeing with you? Because they love you. They love you. And just as that time when you wanted to put the fork into the electrical outlet, they disagreed with you, they are telling you the path you're on is danger, 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 and somebody's got to love you enough to tell you the truth. Right? So, love is not wholesale affirmation of someone's desires, decisions, practices, identifications, or lifestyles. Love does not affirm what God condemns. Love does not celebrate destructive decisions. Love tells the truth so that people might walk in God's best for them. That's what love does. Today, through James, God's going to teach us. He's going to challenge us through His Word, and I pray that by His Spirit, He'll change us. He'll transform us to be more loving because that's what He calls us to do. So the theme for the message is, by faith, we love everyone. By faith, we love everyone. And James is going to give us this lesson as he addresses the sin of partiality within the church. So James chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, we're going to read all the way down through verse 9 for our first point. James is writing as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, and while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? 
Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Our first point today, by faith we love our neighbors. By faith, we love our neighbors. Now, James gives this to us within the context of showing partiality, not showing partiality. How easy is it to fall into showing partiality? It absolutely is. Part of the practical reason that I don't know what anybody in this church gives other than people with the last name of Reynolds who live at my address is because do you know how hard it would be to not show partiality if I knew what people were giving? I mean, I could, I, it's not possible, so it's just easier for me to not know at all. It's none of my business. That's between you and God. You'll give an account to Him. Now, we'll count it. We'll get you a, you know, a thing that you can give on your taxes at the end of the year. But we can't show favoritism because when we do, we are not fulfilling what James calls the royal law of you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You remember they asked Jesus, what are the greatest two commandments? Everybody wants the Cliff's Notes. There's 613 commandments. God narrowed it down to 10. Now they're saying, what's the one that we have to keep? So he said that the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That comes from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. But then he went ahead and gave a bonus. He said the second is like it. The second, if you will, overflows from it. If I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, then something else is going to follow. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the context from which Jesus draws that line, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, comes from the book of Leviticus when God is telling his people how they are to live and how they are to live particularly in relationship to others. They are not to be like the rest of the world, solely out for their own gain. He even says when you glean your fields, leave some behind so that the people who were without can come and have something to eat. He talks about matters of justice and and matters of love as it plays itself out in real life for them. That's Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. I would love for you to go read that and just see what God's expectations are of His people. But love expresses itself tangibly, and it's supposed to express itself tangibly to our neighbors. And we don't get to choose our neighbors, do we? We don't get to choose our neighbors. My next door neighbor's moving. There's a sign in his front yard. I'm going to miss him greatly. He and his family are wonderful. They're going to a a better place, like not heaven, but a better place. You know, it's going to be great. (laughs) We're going to miss them. And guess what we're wondering? Who's going to buy that house? Who's going to live right next to us? We don't always get to choose our neighbors, but here's what we have to do. We have to love our neighbors. You know, there was a man who was trying to clarify this for himself. So he asked Jesus, he said, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus told a story over in Luke chapter 10. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now let me, let me go ahead and frame this. A Samaritan was the epitome 
of those people, whoever those people are to you. Maybe they don't vote like you, live like you, think like you, talk like you, spend their money like you. They don't do anything like you. You don't want anything to do with them. They're those people. So Jesus, this master teacher who is God in flesh among us, he says, but a Samaritan. You know, the person you think is the nastiest person you could ever fathom, the Samaritan came by, and here's what the Samaritan did. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't say, the Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus replied, you go and do likewise. Be more like the good Samaritan. We don't get to choose our neighbors, but we're called to choose to love, and God is serious about our love for our neighbors in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 20, he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. God's serious. We're to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that love for God ought to express itself in love for our neighbors. We don't always get to pick our neighbors, but we're called always to choose to love, and we can only do that by relying on God's strength by relying on his help. So don't, you know, today when you go home, say, today's the day, I'm gonna love them. They may be hard to love. Incidentally, do you know there's people who think you're hard to love too? There's people who think I'm hard to love too. Sometimes I live with them. So don't just, don't just resolve, I'm gonna do it. No, 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 here's the prayer. Lord, help me love them. Golly, they're as unlovable as I am. And you love me anyway. And you love them anyway, and you call me to love them, please help me. Please help me. He'll do that. I love that prayer. He, he honors that prayer. So now look at verse 10. Now look at verses 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Our second point, by faith we confess our sin. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that every one of us who is a part of this experience has messed this up at some point. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say at some point every one of us has been unloving toward another human being. And whether I'm right or wrong, we'll see, but I can tell you for me, boy, I have. And in the context of talking about relational love for other human beings, James gives us a line. Here was another uh, verse that I printed out and put on my wall in college. If anyone keeps the whole law but yet stumbles at just one point, he's guilty of breaking all of it. So you're not an adulterer? Great. But you are a murderer? Well, you've, you've broken the law. You say, well, I'm not a murderer. Well, Jesus... 
Jesus came and magnified the law, and in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 and 22, he said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable, liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus equates relational malice with murder. In Romans 1, verses 28 through 32, Paul writes, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. James 2.10 says, if you have kept the whole law and stumbled at just one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. And do you know what that means? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so regardless of how pretty good of a person you consider yourself to be, you are a sinner in need of a Savior, just like me, just like everybody else. And the only way to be forgiven is to come humbly to Almighty God and say, Lord, I believe you loved me so much that you sent your son for me. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And I turn away from my life of sin to come to Jesus. I will trust in Jesus Christ alone for my forgiveness. I will trust in Jesus Christ alone for heaven. I will trust in Jesus Christ alone to be transformed that I might love others the way that you have called me to love them. So we confess our sin, and there's a sense in which to confess your sin, you have to humble yourself before Almighty God. But you know what God says? He says that when we humble ourselves before Him, He'll lift us up. It's not our job to raise ourselves up. It's our job to humble ourselves. He'll do the lifting up. Well, look with me at verses 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our third and final point today. By faith, we extend mercy. By faith, we extend mercy. <laughs> There's a parable in Matthew chapter 18, it's verses 21 through 35. Peter has come up to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who offends me? And Peter starts like throwing out numbers, you know, and in various accounts of this interaction, we see that Peter wants a deadline. When I've reached this many forgivenesses, can I finally be done? Jesus said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let me, let me do the math for you real quick. And since values of gold change and silver change, here's, here's the idea that Jesus is communicating. 
10,000 talents in today's dollars would be about $6 billion. $6 billion with a B, okay? We're talking about a big amount of money. This guy owes the king $6 billion. Here's what happens. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is equivalent to about $12,000. Still a lot of money, but a lot less than six billion. Guy owes him $12,000. So what does he do? Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? It's pretty much exactly what the servant said to the king about the six billion. This guy owes him 12,000. Please have patience with me. I'll pay you. He refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were all greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Extending mercy is the fruit of a forgiven heart. It's understanding, I have been forgiven much. Therefore, the forgiveness I have received softens my heart toward you. A hardened heart, a hardened heart is evidence of one who has no idea the mercy he's received. One who has no concept of the amount of grace she's been given. A hardened heart bears witness to the fact that the great gift of salvation that has come through Jesus Christ has had really no effect because the one who has been forgiven an unbelievable amount, a truly impossible amount, is unwilling to forgive one with such a smaller debt. So. God's call for us is to love everyone. And you know what everyone means? Everyone. Even those people. Now, does, does that mean we affirm everything? Does that mean we agree on everything? Unequivocally, no. In fact, love often demands that we do not affirm things. But we love everybody. We view them as human beings created in the image of God. We view them as, as image bearers of God, worthy of dignity and honor and respect, and, and we, seek to, we seek to bless them. And we seek to bring them to Jesus, whose arms are open to receive them. Because we're the sort of people who understand, God shouldn't have forgiven any of my debt. But he did. And because he did, I'm willing to extend mercy to you. 
I pray that we would be the kind of people who would love everybody in the name of Jesus, that they might be blessed. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.